So as I was preparing for this message this week, you see it's refiner's fire. Um, I began to think about different types of fire and I started noticing things in the news. Um, first one I think that caught my attention was the train derailment in Ohio and how they, they were burning the, the um, chemicals uh, to try to mitigate a chance of an explosion. And then there was a warehouse fire in Florida and then a, a housing complex fire in New York. Uh, a few firefighters lost their lives. Uh, and then Saturday morning I was scrolling through some news articles and um, it caught my attention that as of at least 11 o'clock yesterday morning, uh, there were 89 wildfires spread throughout the Southwest, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Uh, and it caught my attention and I was thinking about it. Oftentimes we think of fire and it's, it's a de destructive force, uh, um, uh, how it consumes and, and demolishes and, and destroys people's possessions, their, their livelihoods, even sometimes takes their lives. Um, and then today, as I was thinking about today's message, I, I began to think too, well, you know, that's, that's one aspect of fire. The other, oftentimes it's beneficial. We, we get light from it, from candles. Uh, fires warm us. Um, uh, and if you're familiar with the concept of, of iron processing, you know, uh, high heat produces um, precious metals from, from ores. So there, there are some beneficial aspects to fire, and that's what we're going to look at today. The other thing about, as a, we'll, we'll touch a little bit on, it, it depends uh, on um, fire is beneficial when it's controlled, right? So uh, uncontrolled fire is disaster in the hands of a, of, of a craftsman, uh, great things can be accomplished. So with that in mind, I'm going to read um, Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. This is where the, the concept comes from um, for, the, for the passage that uh, we're going to preach on today. Uh, it's... Oh, hey, I'll turn it on. <laughs> it didn't work for a service in my defense. Um, so uh, this is, um, the Israelites have come back from captivity. Uh, the Lord speaking through Malachi saying, uh, I will purify your, your priests, your Levites, uh, and they will lead you in righteousness. So uh, as I was thinking about that, um, Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. So um, if he's going to refine the priests, in Israel, it stands to reason, if we're priests, that we'll be refined too. So uh, Malachi, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can keep standing when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. He will act like a refiner and purifier of silver and will cleanse the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will offer the Lord a proper offering. Well, as I read that, um, I was very grateful, again, because fire can be a destructive thing. Um, the mention of, the, of the, um, refine, or the launderer's soap. Now, the soap mentioned is a, a very caustic lye concoction at the time. Very caustic, but it's not really harmful. Uh, its sole purpose was to cleanse and purify. So by coupling them together, because in the Old Testament, fire a lot of times was judgment. It was um, God's fires coming down to consume so by coupling them, we get the idea that the refiner's fire is there to do exactly as it says. It's to purify and to, um, and to cleanse. Well, we understand the concept of, of smelting, I would assume. Most people know how ore is formed. Am I, am I correct? The, the raw ore, the, the rock, is heated to such a high temperature 
and the metals and the, and the impurities separate. They melt at different temperatures, so they, they separate, and it's easy to skim off the impurities. So what's left is the slag, the sin, the impurities, uh, and what's left is the, the pure metal. And that's what the Lord is saying. It's been a, a imagery uh, throughout the years, a, a common metaphor uh, for the Christian life, where um, the transformation of God's love, the power of his love on our lives is, is equated to the, the, the purifi- purification of metal and um, precious metal and the, the rock that surrounds it. So just as silver and gold is refined by fire to remove the, the impurities, so God does to us. And I'm going to mention a, a two topics, uh, a concept throughout. Uh, the first one is this. And it's simply that the refiner's fire is not a punishment, but it's a purifying and refining process. I think sometimes when we're in the midst of suffering and trials, the temptation is to ask, why me? Uh, Why are you doing this to me? But I think it's important to remember that our attitude is crucial uh, when we're going through refining, purifying. And, And that's it. God's not cruel. Uh, God loves us. He's, he's not the proverbial bully on the sandlot with the magnifying glass applying heat just to see how destructive he can be. He's, he's acting in a manner for our benefit. Um, his purpose is to grow and develop his children into what he knows we, we can and should be. Uh, we think back to the Garden of Eden and Adam, Adam and Eve created in perfection. Um, now, we live in a fallen world. We'll, we'll never be that. But that's his goal, is to continue to purify and process us to reach that, that standard, that ideal, uh, again, of what we can and should have been um, and will one day be. So again, just as a, the metal watcher, uh, we saw the, the, issue, the picture there, they, they carefully monitor this process. They, they regulate the heat. They make sure that the impurities are being separated and not being mixed back in. Um, they're, they're concerned about the process, but just as the metal worker does that, uh, we, can, we can guarantee that God's doing the same thing. He's watching over us as we go through the difficult times. He's not leaving. He hasn't left the process. He's watching the process from beginning to end. So that's the background of the refiner's fire. God uses sometimes uh, certain issues, certain circumstances in our lives to create in us Uh, a pure and spotless uh, being conformed into the image of Christ. So as I was thinking about this, I thought about really there's three groups that can really grow through the refiner's fire. The first one is that God grows the individual. That's you and me. If you're a believer in Christ, God's going to use certain things to transform us and conform us. Again, the, the refiner's fire concept it just refers to that process of purification and transformation uh, that occurs when we go through difficult times and again I'm going to repeat this often we need to refine or filter that refinement through the lens of God's love it's crucial and what do I mean by that well we read in Hebrews 12 4 to 6 the writer wrote you are struggling against sin but your struggles have not yet caused you to be killed. You have forgotten the encouraging words that call you children. My child, 
Don't think the Lord's discipline is worth nothing, and don't stop trying when he corrects you. That's a common temptation, isn't it? When hardship comes, we sort of turn our back on God. It continues, the Lord disciplines those he loves, right? The Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as his child. Now, if we keep that in mind, that God loves his children, and he's correcting, administering discipline in order to change something about us, right? That's why we discipline. If we keep that thought in mind, and if we keep our hearts from becoming bitter and angry through our suffering, then the refiner's fire will serve its purpose. So I thought I would give you, just if you're in the middle of something, and, it, and just keep that in mind, if you are in the middle of something, uh, because it happens to all of us. If you're not now, you probably have been. If you haven't been and you're not, I can almost guarantee you will be at some point facing some kind of struggle, some kind of trial, some kind of tribulation, some kind of suffering. And it's important that we remember um, that God loves us. But here are some benefits. So maybe you're asking, well, why? What is God trying to do? And the first one is that he helps us to see our own sinfulness. When we go through trials and difficulties, it's often a, a humbling experience, isn't it? But it's also often caused by our own pride, our own wants and desires, our selfishness. And when we go through things and things are taken away from what we want, maybe it was an idol. Maybe God's removing an idol from us. God's always got his purpose, though. So it's often a humbling experience to point out to us areas in our lives that we may be sinning. It helps us to realize our own weaknesses and our sinfulness. Uh, Richard shared his testimony. I've known Richard a long time. Um, and I was thinking through this, and I, I was thinking, you know, many 12-step programs, the first step, one of the first steps is admitting you have a problem. Why is that? Well, once you know what's wrong, you can fix it. You can work out a plan to fix the problem. It keeps us oriented on the one who can fix it. So again, if we put aside our pride and accept the chastisement and the rebukes of the Lord, it's then that we can be transformed and conformed to become more like Jesus. The second one, the refiner's fire helps us to grow in greater empathy and compassion. This concept's pretty simple, I think. When we've personally experienced the refiner's fire, we're better able to understand and relate to the struggles of others. That's 2 Corinthians 1, where it says we're able to comfort with the same comfort God has given us. Uh, I'll turn to Richard again. Again, I've known him a long time. I've heard his testimony. I remember sitting with him many times at breakfast, and, um, you know, I, it, it was shortly after he came back from the treatment center, and he, he would wonder, you know, how can I use this? I really want to use this for God's glory to reach others. And he was a little frustrated because at the time, didn't know how to do it. And look, now, you know, 10 years later, uh, God has found a, an opportunity, an area for him to ministry. That's the other part of it. You may not think God is working, but his timetable isn't our timetable. Just be patient, be faithful, continue to keep your eyes focused on the Lord. So we develop greater empathy and compassion for others who are going through difficult times. The third one, the Lord, the refiner's fire helps us to develop greater resilience in the face of adversity. 
When we understand that challenging experiences can ultimately lead to growth and transformation, we're better able to persevere through those difficult times and emerge stronger on the other end. I know several people right now that are going through some really severe health crisis. And doctors are great. The Lord's given a lot of wisdom. Sometimes I think, you know, we, we expect more from them than what they can give. I mean, there's just times, sometimes, the human body is a little more complex than a car or a computer. The diagnosis takes some time. And for some of the folks that I know right now that are struggling, the frustration is the doctors can't even tell them what's wrong. So if you think back to the 12-step program, once the diagnosis is made, there's a sense of relief. Why? Because now we can start planning a fix for what the problem is. And so sometimes when we're going through adversity, it helps to keep in mind that the Lord has a purpose. The Lord has a plan. Look, we're, we're created in the image of God, but we live in a fallen world. Uh, I don't want you to look at anybody. You don't even have to put somebody else in your mind. But somebody you can think of, it might be yourself, you realize, uh, I have a friend that says normal is a setting on a washing machine. We're not normal. We have some issues, right? And God, some, some of those issues are pretty deeply seated. They're, they're deeply rooted in us. And sometimes the measures God has to take are pretty extreme to uh, uproot and to eliminate those issues. And it helps when we keep in mind the fact that the Lord is using this for our benefit that this is part of the cure for our sinful health problem, our spiritual health problem, it's helpful to keep in mind that this is part of the way God uses to make us whole, to make us healthy. So again, when we understand that God's plan of attack for our spiritual health problems includes trials and tribulation and some suffering, we're just able better to bear it. The refiner's fire helps us to grow in maturity and character. When we face trials and difficulties, we're given the opportunity to grow in perseverance, patience, and endurance. We learn to trust God's timing and to wait for his deliverance. Through the refiner's fire, we become more like Christ, who also endured trials and difficulties for the sake of the gospel. Paul, no stranger to suffering himself, explains to us how this process works, and it's important to understand he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Again, attitude is everything. Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Attitude is everything. If we rejoice in our suffering, if we understand the process that's taking a place, we're more apt to accept it, aren't we? So it's important to keep the, the two things in mind, that our attitude has to be right, and we have to remember that God loves us and his purposes are pure. So again, according to Paul, suffering produces perseverance and endurance, or endurance, same thing, which leads to character, which leads to hope. One virtue continuously builds upon another, when we go to the gym, um, that's the whole point of working out, right? Is to build muscle upon muscle, uh, endurance upon endurance. Uh, and these trials and tribulations that we endure in the refiner's fire are meant to do the same thing. 
We build virtue upon virtue upon virtue. We grow in virtue upon virtue upon virtue. So the thing is, uh, Paul, we think of Paul, and, and I'll probably come back to this, but uh, what do we know about Paul? He, he was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked. Um, he didn't, he suffered. <laughs> and the thing is, most of us, when we wake up in the morning, I don't think, I don't uh, say, gee, I wish I could go to prison today. Uh, gee, I wish I could be beaten today. None of us, that's not normal, wake up in the morning wishing we could suffer in some way. But again, that's God's way a lot of times to root out the issues that we are struggling with, to build character. Um, and again, the, the, the method may seem severe, but sometimes severe methods are necessary. God's, God's uh, pattern and plan typically is not just you go to bed one night, you wake up the next morning and you, you're, you're like Christ, that much better. Usually it's through learning to be like Christ. So finally, the refiner's fire helps us to develop spiritual strength. Again, Paul was a man um, who was incredibly familiar with persecution. Uh, he was driven out of towns. Again, he was beaten. He was imprisoned. Um, but he didn't begrudge the treatment. Rather, he chose to see it as something that was developing his spiritual strength. And to be able to say, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. There's another verse uh, uh, Paul wrote, Romans 8, 28 to 29, and he, he reminds us again, one more time, of why this is important. And again, I said I'm going to repeat this because it is so important. Paul wrote, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Does not say all things are good. He says all things work together for good. That includes the Lord's refining fire, the chastisement, the discipline, even the suffering that we go through. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's the, there's the main goal, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So, believer, you're sitting here today, you were predestined to be conformed to, be, to the image of Jesus. And sometimes God has to use extreme heat, more heat on some of us than others, more heat at different times than others, but extreme heat nonetheless to separate the slag from the ore. And again, I can't emphasize this enough either. We have to be careful in our response to the cleansing. Well, what do I mean by that? Why is response attitude so important? James 1 tells us, Thank you. Uh, James 1 tells us, count it all joy. There it is again. <clears throat> Paul says, rejoice in your suffering. James tells us to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. <laughs> and we're both trying to control it, I'm sorry. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, count it all joy. 
<clears throat> Again, I don't want to wake up and go to prison. The, the attitude, though, is so important. If it were to happen, count it all joy, knowing that the Lord is making me perfect and complete. It's a process, and it, sometimes it needs to be extreme. Count it all joy. <clears throat> and I want you to notice one other thing. James says uh, the, the result, or, or yeah, James says that um, the result of, um, or, or the, the, the fact of persecution or suffering or trials is really inevitable. Uh, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, not if. We will meet trials and sufferings, persecution, ill health, bad relationships, it will happen if you fall into various, or when you fall into various troubles. And at the same time, again, he says that these occasions are for joy, not discouraged resignation. When we can count it all joy in the midst of trials because they are used in, to produce patience, that's a mark of spiritual growth. And again, it's so important that we realize that patience, patience is not the inevitable result of counting it all joy or the product of times of trial. We have to carefully monitor our response in times of testing. The natural tendency of trouble is not to sanctify but to induce sin. Now, you may have to chew on that for a bit, but if difficulties are received in unbelief and grumbling, trials can produce bitterness and discouragement. Uh, I know a guy, I didn't clear this with him, so I, I won't mention names, but he lost his daughter uh, to a car accident a few years back. Uh, we had the privilege to watch him wrestle with his faith, asking the whys, the RUs, the, the what's, but at the end of that suffering, at the end of that trial, at the end of that wrestling, his faith was found to be mature and strong. So God uses these things. The thing we have to do is not give way to, it's not fair. Why me? It's important that we keep our perspective uh, and recognize that God is doing a work in our lives. The great Charles Spurgeon said something along the same lines. He said, a man is very apt to become unbelieving under affliction. That is sin. He is apt to murmur against God under it. That is sin. He is apt to put forth his hand to some ill way of escaping from this difficulty, and that would be sin. Hence, we are taught to pray, lead us not into temptation, because trial has in itself a measure of temptation. And if it were not neutralized by abundant grace, it would bear us towards sin. So again, attitude is everything as we go through the refiner's fire. Trusting that we serve a loving God and that he means good for us. Well, I tried to think of an amazing illustration for these points um, for the, to illustrate the principles of how it works in our lives. And uh, I realized the best illustration is ourselves. Every time we look in the mirror, I, uh, we should be able to see someone who's been tested in some way. And you can see the before and after picture. There should have been some growth. 
Uh, our own lives are, are the best illustration for this. And again, the refiner's fire can take a lot of different forms in our lives. Uh, difficult relationships, a health problem, financial hardships, uh, any other trial that we can face. But no matter what form it takes, we can be sure that God is with us and guiding us through the process and helping us to emerge stronger and more refined than before. So we've looked at the individual. Uh, the next place that the Lord's fire can grow, he grows the individual, he grows the church. Now, I realize that uh, in some of our minds, this is inextricably linked as it should be. The church is the people, right? And it makes sense that if, if Mike is growing and maturing and re being refined, uh, at least incrementally, that benefits the rest of the church. It makes it that much more holy and pure. If all of us are going through this process, it makes sense that the church reflects the purity and the holiness of the people that make it up. But I think there's, an also, there's also a congregational element to this where sometimes God deals with the body as a whole, the church as a whole. Uh, our group is working through, our, our life group is working through the book of Revelation. We just finished the seven churches, chapters two and three. And uh, it occurs to me, what are some of the issues that the churches could uh, be disciplined for? Um, so just some of the things that stood out to me through our study, um, some of them were complacent and comfortable. Some of them were uh, allowing false teaching. Some of them um, were, they think of Corinthians, um, overlooking sexual immorality. Um, churches as a body have their own sins that have to be um, pure, they have to be purified from. I think Paul in Ephesians 5, 27, uh, again, we ask the reasons why uh, he would bother. That we, a lot of people don't like these verses because they tend to, verse, they tend to focus on the husband and the wife responsibilities. Uh, but this is, this is illustrative of, of what God is trying to do. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. To sanctify, to sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. To sanctify her by cleansing her so that he may present the church to himself as glorious, not having a stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. Now look, we, we know that the church won't be presented blameless and spotless until Christ comes back for her. But in the meantime, just like the individual, we're to be being conformed more and more, made more and more holy, more and more spotless, uh, more and more a bride worth Christ coming back for. So that's the reason why he does it. And I, I touched on some of the, the blemishes and sustains that could be in the church. Uh, and just know uh, Galatians 5, 9 reminds us that a little leaven in the body a little leaven in the lump pervades the whole lump and, and the sin spreads, so it has to be dealt with uh, by God. He, he won't tolerate it in his church and he'll bring his refining fire. And again, just as he will with individuals, he'll use whatever means necessary to purge the sin with the intent of washing his bride to make her holy and blameless. Uh, I tried to think of a, an example of a church recently going through some difficult times, uh, some troubles, and I really, oh, 
wait a minute, uh, I do know a church. So, somebody somewhere is going to watch this some far and distant time and place, and they're going to wonder what's going on. It doesn't matter what's going on here. Uh, in the theology of family, which is the church, uh, churches, uh, families have squabbles. That's, that's normal. Churches have squabbles. Uh, they have their problems. The thing is, and it goes back to attitude, are we going to accept the Lord's chastising, disciplining, openly embracing it, or will we buck against it? Because attitude matters in how we accept the Lord's purifying, refining fire. It's imperative to remember that the church is the Lord's, and he will accomplish his purposes in it. So instead of hand-wringing or moaning or becoming bitter, the things, same things we mentioned, attitude is so important. We need to trust him to exercise his perfect refining in his perfect timing. Now look, I, I know that the trials and challenges we face can be difficult and painful, so I'm not trying to make light of how, how difficult things are that we're going through. We just have to know that they are providing an opportunity for us to grow in our faith, to grow in our Christ-likeness, or how well we reflect the glory of God. When we encounter times of trials and difficulties, we can either turn away from God or draw closer to Him. And when we choose to draw closer to God, we allow Him to refine us and make us more like Him. In the end, the refiner's fire is not meant to destroy us, but to make us stronger and more beautiful. I think of John, the apostle, when he wrote, the world will know us by our love for one another. That's the church reflecting the Lord's glory. If we're a dirty, filthy, impure church, what kind of image are we reflecting to the world? That's why God refines us. That's why God puts us through the refiner's fire to purify us. It's only through the refining process that we become the spotless bride of Christ, ready to meet him when he returns. <clears throat> so we've seen that the refiner's fire grows the individual. It grows the church. A final way that the refiner's fire grows is he grows the kingdom. I lived in California for 15 years. Uh, I lived three hours away from Sequoia National Park. I never went to Sequoia National Park when I lived in California. It was not until I moved back to Virginia that we made the trip and we went to Sequoia National Park. Uh, if you're not familiar with Sequoia National Park, it's the home of the giant redwoods. Uh, they're very impressive. Um, they, they stand like 300 feet tall. They're, you know, five feet around. They're huge. Uh, one thing I learned when I was there is that they can live to be up to 3,000 years old, if you trust the tree rings and, and everything, 3,000 years old. And the reason they can live that long is because their bark is so thick, uh, so, so tight, uh, they're, they're virtually impervious to fire. Now, you know, I, I spoke about the wildfires earlier, and even in the church, you know, some of the refining that goes on is like an uncontrolled wildfire. It's, it's burning out the stubble and the underbrush and the dead wood uh, so that we can be healthy. Well, and that's, that's the Lord using that. Uh, in, in the giant sequoias with the, with the redwoods, um, fire is actually a beneficial thing there as well. Their cones, 
the pine cones, um, they are, they're held together so tight that the seeds can't come out. Uh, and it's not until there's a forest fire, which doesn't damage the tree, it's not until that fire comes that the cone will open and drop his seeds. Now it also has the benefit then, because the ground has been prepared, the seeds find fertile soil and they grow. And it occurs to me that the wildfire, at the risk of mixing my metaphor or in forests, um, the, the fire then is beneficial and it's the only way that the redwoods, the Sequoia National Park survives. The regeneration of new growth, the propagation of new trees, the fire is essential to the process. Now, I think of the church and the spread of the gospel. Uh, I automatically think of um, Acts 1.8, where the Lord told the, the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, that, that was a command for them to go and take the gospel. Uh, that's Acts 1.8. So we advance to Acts 8.1, and we find out where, how, much, how far has the gospel spread. We find out that the apostles are still in Jerusalem. They haven't spread at all. No ministries occurred outside of Jerusalem. The disciples were comfortable. They were complacent. They were disobedient, so the Lord had to get their attention. And how did he do that? Well, Acts 8, 1 to 4, a man named Saul comes along. Uh, you may have heard of him. Um, uh, one of the deacons, Stephen, is, is martyred, uh, and it says that, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. Persecution, fire, refiner's fire in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And here's the clincher. They were scattered. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The seed was scattered. The pine cone was opened. The word of God spread. Well, find it interesting. God's word is always true. Uh, this was in Judea and Samaria. We move over a couple of chapters, three chapters to uh, Acts eleven nineteen, and through 21. It says, now those who had been scattered because of the persecution, the refiner's fire, that took place over Stephen went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one but Jews. But there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene among them who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too, the Gentiles, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The refiner's fire, the persecution, grew the kingdom as the word spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the Gentiles in the end of the earth. God's refining fire always accomplishes its purpose if we let it. I'm going to turn to the Apostle Paul once again. Uh, I covered this last time I spoke. Uh, he wrote a letter to the Philippians. Does anybody remember where he was when he wrote this? 
I made that much of an impression, John. He was, <laughs> he was in prison in Rome. He was imprisoned in Rome when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Again, I don't want to go to prison. I'm sure Paul didn't wake up that morning and say, I hope I go to prison, but he used it, and the gospel spread through the refiner's fire. He goes on to share that the entire imperial guard knows that he is in prison for his faith, and that's making an incredible difference. So rather than crushing the church, persecution was causing other believers to become bolder in sharing their faith. Well, I was, while I was studying, I came across another example uh, of a modern-day Paul, um, Pastor Christo Kulichev, a uh, congregational pastor in Bulgaria, uh, was arrested and imprisoned for eight months. Uh, and in his place, the state actually put a pastor in his place. So he served his time. Uh, Kulichev actually um, tried to return to his pastorate. They, they arrested him again, put him in prison. Uh, could have been discouraged, right? Uh, could have bemoaned the fact that he was in prison, uh, become bitter and resentful. But while he was in prison, he shared Christ every day in every way that he could, he said. And when he re was released, he wrote, both prisoners and jailers asked many questions, and it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than what we could have experienced in the church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if I had been set free. God's refining fire grows the individual, he grows the church, and he grows his kingdom. As I wrap up this morning, I just want to encourage you, if you're going through a difficult time right now, just remember that God's refining fire is meant to grow us and conform us into the image of Christ, to make us holy, a child that reflects his glory. We need to trust that God is with you and that he's using the difficult time to refine you and make you more like his son. Trust that when you see the Lord working in his church, He's working to perfect a spotless bride. And trust that when you see him working, he's expanding his kingdom in some way. And know that just like the metal that emerges from the fire stronger and more valuable, we too will emerge from our trials stronger, more resilient, and better equipped to face whatever challenges come our way. We need to let the fire remind us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on the author and finisher of our faith. He knows what he's doing. He's loving but firm. And we just need to hold on to our faith and trust that God is with us and is working for our good, even in the midst of the trials that we face. Now, I, I, I shared this the first service and they told me not to do it, but it's a good way for you to remember, hopefully. It's a little cheesy. Yeah, a lot cheesy. So uh, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and uh, going back to the idea of the, the launderer's soap. So um, just imagine if you're in a trial or tribulation, um, you have something to gain as you go through the ringer. Okay? And once you're done with the cleaning, cleansing process, once you, the trial and tribulation is over, we need to snuggle with the Lord. Laundry sheets, you get Snuggle with the Lord. Take that time. Once you're through it, uh, just to, uh, acknowledge what he's doing as you're going through it. Uh, accept it. Uh, see what he's trying to change 
in us um, through our trials and tribulations, and then run to him. Don't run from him. Cling to him. Press in as hard as you can. Trust him. Uh, let him love you. Amen? Amen. Lord God, we just give thanks for this morning. Um, I just pray that someone got something, uh, and we are grateful that um, you allow us to, to share your word. God, help us to apply this. Uh, someone here is going through something. If they're not now, they shortly will be. Uh, help us to be a body that encourages and, and comes around one another. Father, um, Hebrews 10, 24, 25 are coming to mind. That's, a, that's the whole purpose of this body is to uh, encourage and push one another onward and upward. So, uh, Lord, I just pray that um, you do your will and that we come out of this looking more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.